One cannot be controlled or empowered by the Spirit of God until we embrace our neediness. God doesn't do double billing. He does not exist to help me look good. No, we surrender to glorify Him. And we are needy, dependent people. As believers in Jesus, if each of us right now were to check our behavior, could we say we're under the control of the Holy Spirit right now? Are we consciously aware of His control? It's worth considering because after all, Scripture commands us to be filled with the Spirit. Not a couple of minutes each day, but each minute of each day. Well, how can we do that? Join us for today's study. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Loretz. If you're new to our program, our teacher has been in Christian ministry for over 50 years, serving as a pastor, conference speaker, seminary professor, and author. His books include Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, Unshaken, and Make It Home Before Dark. The messages we feature on Living a Legacy come from Crawford's 15 years as pastor of Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia. Today, Crawford leads the Christian mentoring ministry known as Beyond Our Generation. Holy Spirit, the Power for Living, that's the title of today's message, and our text is John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. Let's learn more about the Holy Spirit and why we need Him to be in control of our lives each day. John chapter 7, here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. This message that I'm sharing today is, is a difference maker. Uh, not because I'm sharing it, but because of the emphasis in the New Testament. And I'm, I'm praying that everyone will tune in and give this full attention because this is one of these make or break emphasis in the Christian life. It is the difference between continual failure, up and down roller coaster experience with Jesus, and a life that is full, free, and exhilarating. And, uh, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Just to connect the dots a little bit here, we're in this series of messages that I've entitled Big Rocks. I call them Big Rocks because I'm not very creative with sermon titles and it seemed like the best thing to say. Pragmatism will sometimes take us to the wrong place. Gravitating toward the things that we want to hear will sometimes take us to the wrong place. And I made this statement, I want to underscore this and hear me on this, hear me on this. Unity is a huge, huge, huge big deal to God. In fact, John chapter 17, I went to that text, uh, the last recorded prayer of Jesus, what did he pray for his followers? That we might be one as he is one. He and the Father are one. Our identity in Christ, that is another huge big rock. You've got to know who you are in order to bring stability, purpose, and focus to life. If you're struggling with your identity, your life is going to be swampish. And so it is that we, we need to embrace our identity in Christ, know the weightiness of who we are in Him, and we bring that sense of identity to where we are in life. Now today, I want to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, I've entitled this the Holy Spirit, colon, power for living. Power for living. Now, all of these big rock messages, as I said, the first message in setting this up, 
obviously all of them could be series within themselves, okay? So the messages that you're hearing are summary and surveyish in nature. And so it is with this message on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It, it is survey in nature, and I probably should do a five, six-part series on it, but I don't have enough time to do it, so I want to get down to the bottom line uh, in terms of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I want to say a few things up front. Whenever you talk about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, in the Bible, you've got to understand the Holy Spirit is meant to be experienced. The introduction to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament takes place back in John 14, 15, and 16, right there when Jesus promises another comforter. And then the context of that promise, he's talking about not just knowing about the Spirit of God, but experiencing the Spirit of God. As you survey the book of Acts, uh, uh, the, the apostles and, and the leaders of the early New Testament church, it's not just correct content about the third person of the, of the Trinity. They experience, experienced the ministry and power of the Holy Spirit. And I happen to believe that there's not been enough preaching and teaching on the ministry of the Spirit of God. Now, I've preached about it here in fellowship all these 15 years that I've been here, but I have to tell you that I too am embarrassed that I have not talked enough about his ministry. And one of the great problems in our churches is a lack of authentic, hear me on this, hear me on this, authentic power. Authentic power. We have confused knowledge and content and uh, assessment and process with the power of God. They are not the same thing. And in fact, as you, as, as you read the New Testament, you get to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, Luke records in the very beginning of that book, Jesus is standing there with his disciples, an extraordinarily emotional time. This is post-resurrection Jesus. He had been with them for many, many days after his resurrection, affirming and confirming them and answering all the questions that they have about the veracity of Christianity, who he really was. And by the time you get to Acts chapter 1, just before Jesus ascends to heaven, these disciples, they don't have any questions about that. They're not, they're not scared. They're not, they're not intimidated. They're not unsure. They're full of confidence. But what does Jesus tell them? Now, notice they had exposure, they had experience, and they had education. They're excited, ready to go. What does he say to them? He says, but wait. Wait. Wait here for the promise of the Father, which you have heard from me. For you have information in so many words. You've got insight in so many words. You've got education in so many words. You've got enthusiasm. But what you really need is power. You need power. And this is the problem of the, in the church of Jesus Christ today. We think our opinions equal power. We think our assessments equal power. We think our knowledge equals power. Why is it that we can be, have such crisp, clear theology, and yet we can't overcome the sin in our own lives? Why is it we can be correct about all so many, all the stuff going on, and yet we cannot, in the power of the Spirit, resolve the conflicts in our marriages? How is it that we can be so insightful, but we can't get along with one another in the church? 
it is not just correct theology, although that's important and you know what I believe. What's going to accelerate us is a group of men and women of God who are submitted to the third person of the Trinity, controlled by him, driven by him. That's where transformation takes place. And there are many more reasons I could get into that, but I don't have enough time. You know, we're afraid, to, we're afraid to talk about the Spirit of God. Some of it is because of the loony excesses that people have, the crazy stuff that they blame on the Spirit of God that has nothing to do with the Spirit of God. And uh, you get all these nutty ex excesses. And I say that, I don't mean to be pejorative or, uh, or, or insulting, but, you know, it doesn't square with the Scriptures. The Spirit of God will never tell you to do anything that violates the Word of God. Never. But nevertheless, he is to be experienced. Now, here's the problem. The, the, the reason why more of us don't experience the reality and power of the Holy Spirit has to do with basically pride. You see, we are needy, dependent people. And one cannot be controlled or empowered by the Spirit of God until we embrace our neediness. You've heard me say this up here before. God doesn't do double billing. He does not do double billing. He does not exist to help me look good. No, we surrender to glorify him. And we are needy, dependent people. And this is the reason why we struggle with the ministry of the Holy Spirit, because we know that we're competent. We know that we can do certain things. We know that we have the answers. But until we embrace our brokenness, we will never experience the power of God. And so we are needy, dependent people. Well, that means, and therefore, God's power is released in and through us when we embrace this level of dependence, this level of dependence. Now, the question is that I want to answer for the rest of the message. What do dependent, spirit-empowered followers look like? Well, let me just give you three, three evidences, three results, and I'll talk about them. They are, number one, filled. Number two, they are controlled. And number three, they are equipped. They are filled, they are controlled, and they are equipped. First of all, spirit-empowered followers of Jesus are filled. Over in John chapter 7, this is a prophetic passage in many regards. Jesus is at uh, this, this great feast. So let me just read, read John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. John records, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit. This he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, I don't want to bore you on this, but just to review this a little bit, I checked and I shared this about a year or so here. There are four things that happens to every believer the moment they trust Christ as Savior and Lord related to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. These four realities, uh, you may not have felt anything, but these four realities took place the moment you said, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Immediately, these four things happened. The very first thing is that we were regenerated by the Spirit. 
The Spirit of God gave us new life. The second thing that happened is that we were indwelt by the Spirit. The Spirit came to permanently indwell us and live inside of us. You'll see in a few moments it's a difference between indwelling and filling. The third thing that happened is that we were baptized by the Spirit at the moment of salvation. We were placed into the body of Christ. That is the baptism of the Spirit. The fourth thing that happened at the moment of salvation is that we were sealed with the Spirit, meaning that we permanently belong to Him, and the sign of that is the presence of the Spirit of God inside of us. So we're regenerated, indwelt, baptized, and sealed. Mind you, Jesus is speaking prior to His ascension. The Holy Spirit did not come into the world to permanently regenerate, indwell, baptize, and seal until after Jesus had been ascended to heaven. So now he's speaking prophetically, prophetically here at this great feast. Now again, hang in there with me. I'm going someplace. I don't mean to bore you with this, but what feast is he talking about? It's important to know this in order to see the shocking, searing contrast that Jesus is proclaiming. The feast that he's talking about here is the Feast of Tabernacles. What's the Feast of Tabernacles? Where every, every year there was an eight-day feast called the Feast of Tabernacles, and they celebrated this every year to remind Israel of their wanderings in the wilderness for 40 years. So Jesus stands up at this feast. Now one of the things that they did at the Feast of Tabernacles that you wouldn't see in the text here, uh, during the Feast of Tabernacles, each morning, the priests would lead a holy procession to the Gihon Springs, the Gihon Springs. It was a solemn thing. He would lead this holy procession to the Gihon Springs, and he would have a golden pitcher, P-I-T-C-H-E-R, golden pitcher that he would, he, would, he would dip into the cool, refreshing waters of the Gihon Springs. And then he would lead them in holy procession back up to the temple. He would walk into the temple and take the water that he had just gathered from the Gihon Springs and pour it out over the altar, over the altar. Now, there are two implications, two, two things that the, this represents. The first thing that it represents is that uh, it represents the water that had been provided out of the rock that gushed forth and gave them life in the wilderness. The second thing, the second thing that this represented, and this is the reason why Jesus stood up, the second thing that this represented, what this was a foreshadowing of the coming of the Messiah. So when Jesus stands up at the last day of the feast and he cried out in a loud voice saying, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What was he saying? Well, Jesus was saying in so many words, you do not have to settle. You don't have to settle for a representation of living water. It's right here. I'm right here. I have fulfilled this. You see, this is the reason why I got upset with Jesus. Jesus said, no, 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 you don't have to keep going to the Gihon Springs with this pitcher of water. Living water is right here. You don't have to settle. And I would ask us, are we settling for a substitute? Are we settling for a representation? And again, the text says that he was referring to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What are we choosing to give us life? What are we trusting in to give us life? Who are we trusting in to give us life? 
What ideas about the Christian life are we holding on to to give us life? So now I'm standing right here. I represent this life. And by the way, he says, out of the heart will flow rivers of living water. It's a continuous source of power and satisfaction from within. Whenever I read that line, I think of uh, one of my mentors, Dr. Stephen Olford, who's with the Lord. He was British. And uh, I heard him preach this text many times, or a few times through the years. And whenever he would get to that line, out of the heart will flow rivers of living water. He said, out of your heart or innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And I always wanted to be able to do that, but I can't. And, uh, <laughs> but this is continuous flow. Power, satisfaction from within. Don't, don't, don't miss that. And I don't mean to be, you know, superficial when I say this, but so many of us are trying to run down joy and satisfaction from all other sources. And God says himself, my spirit is living inside of you, the third person of the Trinity. If you would yield to me, the power and the satisfaction and the joy will bubble up from within. Maybe, maybe, maybe your issue is, your issue is failure to surrender to the third person of the Trinity. And this living water is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Now the question is who and what is coming out of us on a regular basis? If we're not yielded to the Spirit of God, anger, lust, dishonesty, who and what is coming out of us? Now, having said all of that, I just want to point you to the two conditions here. The two conditions to experiencing this, this living water, this, 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 this spring that explodes from within, it's right here in the passage. Two conditions. The first one is found in verse 37. If anyone thirsts, 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 that has to do with desire. How serious are you? How hungry are you? How passionate are you? How determined are you to be controlled or to be filled by the Spirit of God? Are you thirsty? Do you really desire it? Do you really, really believe that you can't make it apart from the Spirit's empowerment in your life? Are you thirsty? And the second requirement is given in the next verse. If you come to him, if you believe, believe in me. Thirst and faith. You see, the release of this spring inside of us, you don't have to beg God to do it. You don't have to come here and tarry to do it. You don't have to speak in some unknown language to say that you got it. You don't have to do any of that. The only requirement is that you're thirsty. You're thirsty. Will you trust him for it? So these spirit-empowered people, what are they marked by? What are they characterized? Well, they are filled. They are filled. And secondly, these spirit-empowered people, they're not only filled, but they're also controlled. 
controlled. Now, technically, and you're going you're to hear the word fill in this verse that I'm going to quote, but the analogy really sets up the idea of control. Control. I want to quote a verse, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. If you've been around church for a while, perhaps you've heard that verse quoted a number of times. The apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, 18, and be not drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be being filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be being filled with the Spirit. You'll notice in that little short verse, there are two commands. One is negative and one is positive, right? The negative command is do not get drunk with wine. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the positive. Now, now the command itself, be not drunk with wine, you know, don't, don't let, uh, the, the analogy is, 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 is what he is driving at. Um, what he is pointing at is be careful of what you are ingesting because what you ingest will alter or determine your behavior. So don't, 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 don't do that. Uh, do not be drunk with wine. That's negative. Drunkenness is, is, is wasteful living. And the person who drinks is controlled by what he has obviously ingested. And so my question again is, what are we ingesting? What are we taking in to us? Because what we take into our lives will demonstrate itself in terms of how we live. What's, what's forming our passions? What's forming our outlook? You know, what, what, are we, what, are we, what are we really emphasize in our hearts and minds? What are we spending time with? What are we letting into our eye gate and our ear gate? What are we thinking about? And we will become that like that which we ingest. You, you know, you can't bifurcate your life, although we try to. And ultimately, there's no such thing as a, as a sustained hypocrite. Because over time, your life is going to tell the truth about what's inside of you. Crawford Loretz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy, with the first part of his message titled, Holy Spirit, the Power for Living. Our text, John chapter 7. Some great teaching today about why we're often not living out an authentic, genuine representation of the life of Christ. We're not depending on the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, hope you'll be back again next week for our study. If you joined us late in our program today, you can hear the entire message on our website, livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org, or on your favorite podcast site. Many of Crawford's messages are also available to download for free. Look for the MP3 link on the website. Thanks for getting in touch with us. It's encouraging to know Crawford's teaching is being used by God to help you take next steps in your walk with Christ. Here's a recent email from Randy. The first part of the Unity series featuring John 17 was very inspiring and comforting. With division and polarization growing in the church, Crawford gave an enlightening message stating that we should follow Jesus' example and unite upon that which brings glory to God above all else, a needed message in the current times. Thanks to Crawford and Living a Legacy for this encouraging episode. Well, thank you, Randy. Now, how about you? If you're finding these weekly studies helpful, let us know at legacy at moody.edu. 
legacyatmoody.edu. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Great to be with you today. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.